the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art in all places and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us from every stain and save our souls, O gracious Lord. Amen. May the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Can everybody hear me okay? Yes? Except those not answering, right? I get Very good. Very good. Before we launch into our second week in this series of the kingdom of God is near to us, just very briefly to recap the major subject matter and the foundation that we set for last week, because we're going to move from that and build upon that each week. Last week, we, we looked at the problem that all of us in various ways face in our lives that has come from uh, great and cunning deceit of Satan. So again, last week, we looked at the problem that we, we all face in various aspects of our life that really are a means by which the very cunning and strategy of our enemy Satan and all the demonic really come against us. We also looked at the solution to the problem, so where we are but where we need to go. And the problem that we talked about is this great compartmentalization of God into His place in various sections of our, of our life. That we relegate God to these times or these places in our lives. And the rest of our lives are just basically filled with the mundane, physical, normal human activities that we go about. And as Metropolitan Jonah well put it so well in the introduction to the book, Everywhere Present, he said, the secularization of our faith is the compartmentalization of God, religion, and everything else into unrelated parts of our lives. Secularization, he said, does not deny that God exists, but rather states that he has his nice little place in our lives. That's what it means that our lives have become deceived, secularized into something far less than what God intends for us. So that it, our lives exist in that two-story universe where we are down here, God is up there, and every now and again, God will pop into the downstairs and we'll experience him or something or he'll do something for us. And then back up, he goes upstairs not to be seen again until the next time he comes downstairs. The two-story universe is not what Christ came to bestow upon his people. Only a one-story universe that is so filled with him. And I tell you that in the seasons and the areas of our lives, where we live like this, as if there's this great compartmentalization of God or He dwells distantly or upstairs above us, in those seasons and days and such in our lives, we are truly denying the fullness of the incarnation itself. The reality that the incarnation brought the absolute inauguration of the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven. This is exactly what He taught His disciples to pray. So that being the problem, we want to set our face to diminish that problem. We want to set our face to where that two-story universe becomes a one-story constant experience of the fellowship with God and all the benefits of His kingdom. I'm going to read you as we look at the solution, where we're going. 
Another brief word from Metropolitan Jonah's introduction to Everywhere Present. He had told us last week that the real Christian task is to integrate our lives and our consciousness by the awareness of God to overcome the compartmentalization dictated by our culture and to sanctify all creation by the remembrance of God, awareness of His constant presence. And he goes on to say, and I didn't read this to you last week, that when these boundaries of these compartmentalizations, when these boundaries crumble, and when we lose control of our fantasy world, which it is, compartmentalization of God is our fantasy. It is not His reality. And when we lose control over our fantasy world, which is inevitable as death, then perhaps we can begin to deal with reality himself and the world as it truly is. This disillusionment is essential, albeit painful to us. Only then can we throw off the bondage of the limitations of our sensual perceptions and rational comprehension. Only then does God break through and awaken us from the dream world of our own fantasies. And I think that is extraordinarily well put. You see, as the experience of the kingdom of God on earth, as Christ offered and intended it, for us to be able to experience that, our current paradigm of how we live in this life is going to have to change. There's going to have to be an adaptation that stems from a healing within us. And healing only comes by being in the presence of the healer. Only then does our paradigm begin to shift and change and evolve, but it's absolutely necessary. Even in our Christian thinking, we must continue to evolve, letting God open the door of our minds to the full reality of His kingdom and the experience of it here on earth. And Metropolitan Joseph states that this change of paradigm, it is difficult because of our humanity and because we've lived our entire lives under one certain paradigm. A paradigm does not change in an instant. I wish that it would for all of us, even myself. But a paradigm shift, a paradigm change that we're talking about that's necessary for us to truly experience Christ and His kingdom to the full in this world, a paradigm shift is absolutely necessary over the course of our lives walking in fellowship with the Lord our God. We're going to start talking about some ideas The main point of what we're going to talk about, in fact, today is this. For this paradigm shift that we all are going to be seeking, I pray, for this to occur in our lives, how do we posture ourselves before God for this journey? What is it going to take of us moving towards God? Because what none of us should doubt is God's ever movement towards us and His ever presence with us. But what is this going to take for us to move towards God? How do we posture ourselves and begin to rethink as God directs us in this journey of of truly the experience of the King and the kingdom magnifying in our experience in life? Basically, what we're talking about is that this two-story construct that in some areas, not every area, I'm convinced that in all of our lives, there are times we live in a one-story universe. But then there are times we go about our business as if God is is light years away. Yes? Yes, all of us. So in those areas of our lives where there's still this two-story construct, it needs to collapse. 
How do we posture ourselves? How do we set ourselves before God? What is it going to take for that collapse to happen so that the one-story universe begins to permeate every aspect of our lives? St. Paul speaks to this very thing when he wrote his letter to the church in Rome. From Romans chapter 12, and I tell you, it's an extraordinarily familiar verse to all of us. Verses, I should say. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing will. We're going to spend a lot of our time today breaking down just those few verses because those verses are the construct for this paradigm change that needs to happen in our lives that our Lord so desires. And the first thing I'll point out to you is verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. My friends, the pattern of this world is the way in which the fallen nature sees and responds to all things. I'm going to say that again. What is it he's saying, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world? It is the way in which we see, we have been programmed by the culture, the fallen nature of this world. We've been programmed to both see and experience everything around us. We're not to be conformed to this. You see, this is a, the pattern of this world is an absolute result of the deceitful nature of our enemy Satan. And again, all of the demonic, the same deceits that were brought to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. That deceit that whispers, and, and you'll recognize this message. You'll recognize uh, what's this whispering of our enemy that comes in, that creates this pattern we've lived in, because it whispers, don't see the world the way God sees the world, the true reality. See it differently. Each of you discover your own and vastly different realities by your own experiences in this life. The entire world has embraced this. Man has become God. To see the world as man dictates. This is right and holy. This is virtuous. Right? This is the pattern of this world. And it's within us to varying degrees. So don't see the world the way God sees it. You see it your own way. And see the world as if God is distant from you. Now approach him every now and again. Feel free, the voice will tell us. If you ever read the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, you'll see this much more clearly. Approach God every now and again, please, to get what you desire or think that you need. See, I'm sure he'll listen. But you know what? Once you've spoken to him and he's listened, get back to your life as normal. You have so many things to attend to, to let your focus be on so many things that you need to achieve. So go to him, yes, but then get, get about your business. Have you heard that voice in your own head steering the way that we typically have to live in our daily lives? And obviously I'm voicing it as an extreme, but I think it's extremely there. And I don't think sometimes it's a whisper. It shouts at us to deny God fellowship with us. It shouts at us 
to pursue and elevate other things before Him so that so much more of our time is spent in the pursuit of this or the doing of that, even though they're perceived to be good things. Realize something, my friends, that no good thing can be done without your union with Christ. Not in its fullness. Not in the way that Christ has granted for you. But we know this voice. But the truth is this, and I really want to speak the truth that dashes that apart, is that that pattern of this world, the pattern that St. Paul says we're not to be conformed to, the pattern of this world is the diminishing of the God who created it and has filled all things. That's the voice. He says, do not be conformed to this world. And what he's saying is, do not let your whole self, your body, your heart, your mind, soul, everything that makes up our human person, do not let yourselves be fashioned after that pattern. Because how many of you know that the patterns we live in this life, the habits we do in this life, they make us something. They turn us into something. We either become or we unbecome based on the patterns that we have let get engrafted into our mind, in our spirits, and the patterns of which we go about our daily lives. There is no neutral in God. There is no neutral in Christianity. We are either moving towards Him and the greater experience of Him and His salvation, or we're turning away and going the other way. The whisper tells us there is an in-between, and it's okay. There's not. There's not. When we live in the pattern of this world, my friends, it creates a blindness to the wonder of God and all that He has done and all that He has offered us in this life. St. Paul says, instead, do not be conformed to this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That renewing of your mind is the very change of the paradigm that we're talking about. It occurs with the healing of the soul welling up to the renewal of the mind. And we're going to talk about what that means in just a moment. But this is the key to us that we have our mind renewed out of the pattern of the world into the healthy construct and reality of the kingdom of God. Here is what it takes for the old paradigm of how we see God and how we perceive all things, His kingdom, His salvation in the world, to be made into a new and accurate paradigm by that healing renewal, a renewal that causes us to see things as they actually are in this world. The blinders come off and we see the wonder of God and all that He is, and all that He's done. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That word transformed, by the way, is the very similar word that you hear when used for the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, He was transfigured. He was transformed. The Greek word that comes from that word transformed or transfigured is the same word that we get the term metamorphosis from, Right? A metamorphosis is an entire change of being. It is going from one state or one kind to an entirely other. So when St. Paul is saying, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, he's talking about right now as a caterpillar going into a cocoon with God. And through that cocoon with God, then as a caterpillar, we're seeing things in this distant way. We're perceiving things in the pattern of this world. But when we come out of that cocoon, it is entirely different. Now we are a butterfly with a uniquely different experience of life in this world. Because the caterpillar couldn't fly. 
The caterpillar wasn't near as beautiful. Thank you. You've seen those, right? There is a complete transformation. And that's the word that St. Paul is using when he says that we are to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. But now let's remember what it means to be renewed. I like to break that word into two. Renewing. What does that sound like to you? For something to made, be made completely new again. To be redone, refashioned, completely changed, right? That's what he's calling us to. Our minds literally made new again. They returned to their most natural created state, made new as in the days of old in the Garden of Eden. And when St. Paul's talking about the transformation of the renewing of our mind, well, what is the mind? The fathers tell us, and even the language that was written in, that within us that perceives all things around us, how we see things, how we experience things, but not only how we see and experience that perception, it goes deeper, but also how we understand what we are perceiving. When we talk about beholding God, we both perceive Him, and then His revelation of Himself to us communicates something about Himself so that we not only see Him, we grow to a greater understanding of who He is and His nature. Does that make sense? These are, these are huge words that St. Paul is using. Be transformed, made totally different by the renewing, the making new of your mind so that you can see God for who He is at all times, at all times, in all places. And by seeing Him, you can comprehend and grow to know Him, truly know Him, and from growing to know Him, to become like Him. Are you seeing the overhaul language that St. Paul is using that is necessary and provided for us if we will but fellowship with God? Do you see what he's saying? Yes? Some yes, some are getting there. It's okay. Because I just said a mouthful. I know that. And yet this is precisely what it is going to take for our old paradigm of the pattern of this world, that two-story house to collapse into one, so that we don't see things anymore darkly and dimly. I'm telling you, the way we tend to see this life when we're treating God as if He's different and going about our mundane activities, the way we see this life, my friends, is quite boring and sometimes frustrating. But if our eyes were opened up to see things around us all the time the way that He sees it, to know just how near God is with us, then the very experience of our life, I promise you, would be anything other than boring and frustrating. And I tell you the truth, this transformation that St. Paul is talking about that's going to be necessary for us to truly embrace the fullness of what we've been offered with our fallen nature and left alone to our fallen nature, this can never happen. And it'll be a frustrating event. But we don't have just a fallen nature. We have been infused, given that beam, as we talked about, that beam of the divine, of the Holy Spirit within us. He has joined us to Himself so that we have everything that we need for this transformation to take place. Okay? I wanted to set the stage for, trans for change. I wanted to set the stage for what's going to be necessary in our lives to experience 
Christianity as the incarnate God made affordable to us. So now let's talk about how do we posture ourselves to begin moving in that direction and receiving this change only possible by Him in our lives, this trans renewing of our minds. To say it simply, and I mean very simply, the posture of the Christian should always be this, and this is what's going to be necessary, that we make our life a living offering to God in response of His constant offering to us. We know this from liturgy. We'll talk about this more in just a moment. To that end, before we do, remember what St. Paul said before he called for us not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. What did he say first? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves, your bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. It's after he states the posture of the Christian that he talks about our being renewed and transformed. There is no renewal and transformation unless we are offering ourselves to the God who is infinitely offering himself to us. And that sounds real logical, doesn't it? But it's not happening in areas of our life, and that's why we're dealing with this. We say it every Mass and again, we should make sense of this, that everything in Mass is showing the completedness of our daily journey with Christ every day for our salvation. We use this very scripture, and here we offer ourselves. But St. Paul knows the very ingredient necessary within us to enable us to freely offer ourselves to God. Because he states that he prefaces it with this, in view of God's mercy. Offer yourselves. You know what he's saying? Within plain view in your life, in your mind, in your heart, in plain view, remember the mercy that God has shown you. Remember the mercy. That very real word, remembrance. Bring the mercy that God gave you at this time in your life and all through our life. And even when we don't ask for it, the mercy is there. But those experiences of the mercy of God, we keep them before us. Because the life of offering ourselves to God is the life of responding to something, not coming up with something. What does the scripture say? We love because what? He first loved us. We offer ourselves as a response to that love because we have become love receivers. We've experienced the love and the divine mercy of God. So St. Paul is saying, in order to offer ourselves to Him, keep the mercy you've received right before you. It will draw out of you a desire, a yearning, so healthily to offer your life to God in fellowship and in experience all your days. We must keep what we've received and experienced of Him before us all of our days. And what does it mean to offer ourselves? Well, let's look at the posture of, of all of us in the Mass. In the Mass, we come to Him. And like we talked about with that blessed widow, we keep coming before Him. And are facing the altar. When we face the altar, this is our offering ourselves presenting ourselves to God. We face 
Him we come, and when we come, we offer ourselves. And what do we offer? What is it that we offer to God? Let's open that up for just a minute. What do we offer to God when we come to worship? Huh? Our minds, our bodies, our whole self. Just keep going a little bit. Say again. Our attention, our focus. Okay. We give what? We give back, we offer back to Him the very good gifts that He's given us. Keep going. Our desires, our dreams, our ambitions. Our desires, dreams, and ambitions. Good. What else? What's that? Our prayers, our supplications. Very good. Our worries and concerns. And now we're getting to that second aspect of our offering. We need to remember what we are to do when we come. Keep going. What's that? Our love is a response to love. And I heard I heard worries. My friends, when you come, you do understand that the church is a hospital for all that are ill, and there's not one healthy within it. If we're offering our whole self, then we are also offering our brokenness. We're offering the ways that we have been wounded by the fall, the ways that we have wounded ourselves further from the sin nature that came from the fall. We're offering every aspect of ourselves in body, mind, and our soul that is in need of healing. When we offer our whole selves, He sees it all. Remember what we say again at the beginning of Mass, you see everything. You see the praise that's in my heart already, so I give it to you. You see the love that is in my heart for you, so I give it to you. You see the pain that is in my heart. How many of us offer our sufferings as an offering of ourself? Our great pains, as well as our fragility, our need for strength. We offer our deficiencies. You can't offer your whole self unless you're bringing your brokenness, because we're all broken, right? We see this in the Mass. Why do we think? Think about this. This is a real question, not to be answered, but to be considered. And I pray you'll go and consider this. So if I come and I indeed are offering my, I'm, I'm offering my whole self to you in the divine liturgy, for the Lord is facing us from the altar with His love and His justice and His judgment. He's facing us and we are facing Him and there we commune. What is the deceit in your life? It'll be different in mine than yours. And each of you might be a little different. What is the deceit that tells us that every day of our life we're not to do the same thing? As if God is not always seeing us perfectly. Our needs, our praise, our love, our pains, our sins are falling short. The Mass is to get the, the habit of the kingdom of God in us so that we go Monday to live the same habit by the grace of God and His so infinitely close presence within us and around us at all times. You see? God knew that people were creatures of habit and so He gave them habits of the kingdom. 
You see? What it means to offer ourselves to God in the Mass is what it means for us to offer ourselves to God, to avail ourselves as He is with us, we will be with Him. And if we will begin doing that, we will have such a most uh, far, much further and grander experience of Him in our lives and His kingdom within us. You see, it's about living a life of being God experiencers because He... In the Garden of Eden, it was only by the experience of his children, Adam and Eve, so to speak, with their father that they became like their father. This is what our Lord, the second Adam, reinstigated in the earth for us. And while we're talking about habits, I want to touch on this for just a moment. I actually want to suggest a book for you. And I mentioned it before years ago. But this really helped me in this very aspect of living in a in a active relationship with Christ in the most mundane moments of my life. It is the practice of the presence of God by a French Roman Catholic monastic in the 16th or 17th century, excuse me, named Father or Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence's job at the monastery was kitchen work. This was his service to God and his brother monastics. So he was the cleaner of the pots and the pans every day at the monastery. But I want you, I'm going, to, I'm going to read to you just a few brief words of his that describe what is available to us in Christ. How he discovered to live a life practicing the presence and reality of God in the most mundane things. I'm serious. Practicing the very fullness of the presence of God when he would wash pans. Let me read to you just a few little snippets to give you an idea of what this life looks like. He says, The time of business and work does not differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees at the blessed sacrament. You hear that? He's saying his experience of the closeness of God, his experience of the fellowship of God, is just as near and experiential to him when he is doing the pots and pans as it is though differently when he is kneeling and receiving the blessed sacrament. Somebody asked the question last week, well, if this kind of stuff is true, then, then why do we even come to church? If we can experience God in that nearness, my friends, because if we were to pull away from church, if we were to pull away from the experience of Christ and the unity of faith as heaven and earth joined together and all of us joined together and Christ among us, it is the church that sets the further rhythm for every day of our life. We negate the very habitual things that we do that transform our lives toward that blessed experience that he's talking about. If he had not had the experience of the liturgy, if he had not had the experience of the hours of prayer and the liturgical offices of prayer, he would not have gotten to this point. It all comes together because what happens is we experience God as potently and powerfully and very closely as we do in the liturgy when we're doing our most mundane things. And 
we find ourselves calling out for mercy, receiving mercy on a daily basis, and then we're filled with praise from the healing that Christ has done, and we come back here to offer ourselves again. You see? It's the rhythm of the life of the Christian set by Christ. So we never negate one or the other. It's the entirety of it all. Let me go further with something he says. He says, we should establish ourselves in a sense of God's presence by continually conversing with Him. That it was, he said, it's a shameful thing to quit conversation in order to think of trifles and fooleries. We should feed and nourish our souls with high notions of God, which would yield us great joy in being devoted to Him. We should quicken or we should enliven our faith. He says it was lamentable that we have so little of the kingdom of God in our lives that instead of taking faith for the rule of our life, we amuse ourselves with trivial devotions that have to do with this world. And finally, he says, we ought to give ourselves up to God with regard both to things temporal and spiritual and seek our satisfaction only in the fulfilling of His will, whether, his, whether He leads us by suffering or consolation, for either would be equal to a soul resigned to God. You know, I watch people who are light years ahead of me in the faith. People who I want their faith. People who have suffered greatly with some extraordinary cancers, and I watch them walk through it. And because they have daily fellowshiped with God and experienced Him in His kingdom all of their lives, you'd think nothing was happening to them. You know they're hurting, and they'll tell you, I feel sick. But their life is unrocked, and their life is at peace, because they don't know a time of, a time of their day where God is not right with them. That He can't speak with them and receive comfort, receive strength and grace for the suffering. Is that not the faith we ought to be striving for? And it comes by that daily fellowship. Name some of the, think about your lives, name some of the mundane activities that, that you do. I'll throw one out. And this, by the way, is only happening because of the fall of mankind. I mow the lawn. Okay? That's one of the mundane things that I have to do in this life. What are some of the mundane things you have to do during your daily life? Dishes, laundry, school. Did you hear I said that? School. Grocery shopping. Vacuuming. Absolutely. Going to work. Driving. Okay. All the what? All the housework. Uh huh. Oh, interesting. Good. Right. Yeah. So hold, hold that thought because this is exactly, this is where we need to be going. I've heard laundry, we've got mowing the lawn, we've got driving the car, we've got doing grocery shopping, we've got all these different things. 
So here's my question to you, not to be answered, but to be moved towards. Brother Lawrence, based on what you just heard, would say each one of those things is an absolute opportunity for divine communion with God. To have a conversation with Him. You do not need a liturgical prayer book in those moments. We are blessed by the liturgical prayers because when we do the hours of prayer, it helps us see God in truth and to pray His will when our emotions may want to pray this or that. These are blessings to us. But the liturgical prayers, again, like the Father say, are not the beginning. I mean, they are the beginning of our prayer, our conversation with God, not the end. Next time you vacuum, next time you're cooking, next time you're cleaning in the kitchen, next time you are on your way to work or in work, start looking at it as a divine opportunity to converse with God a little bit to bring Him into the very moments of the most mundane things that we do in our lives. Do you see that? Um, yes. I like to light a candle sometimes when I'm doing... Yeah. Kind of, it kind of, when I see it, it kind of reminds me to put my mind back on to it. Exactly. Exactly. It, that, that's a great... If you didn't hear that, she, when she's being about her housework, she likes to light a candle in the sacred space of her home. Well, of course, absolutely. And while we have sacred space in our home that is absolute and right and dedicated to the presence and experience of God and our prayers as family, that doesn't mean when we're 10 feet away, we're not in sacred space. We're in sacred space. Listen to me very carefully. We're in sacred space anytime we're conversing with the Lord our God and experience His presence among us. It's just like what Bishop John said. I remember this beautifully. Um, one of the first times he came to visit, uh, after I had come to be the priest here, somebody while he was here had asked me to bless an icon. And so I'm back there and Bishop is with me. And he asked me, go ahead and do the prayers. And I did the prayers and blessed the icon. And we were done and he, he tapped me on the shoulder and he said, now you know exactly at what point an icon is truly blessed, right? And I said... I said, Bishop, you're the bishop. I'm not going to even answer that one. You give me that one. And we were joking about it. But, but he said something very, very right. He said, the icon is blessed when the child of God prays and communes with God before it. That's when the icon becomes blessed. You see? When we turn our attention to Christ... And let him turn our attention to the Father in the most mundane activities. We, have, we ought to take our sandals off because we've just entered sacred space, holy ground. You see? Yes? Father, well, I just wanted to kind of a comment in a request. Um, you know, the renewing of the mind was very important to Paul. Yes. In Philippians, uh, the first chapter, verse 9, he talks about that he prays for them their love would increase in all knowledge and discernment. Um, and, you know, and then in Romans, as you said, he says, the renewing of our mind. Can you speak to a little bit? In, in our culture, we have, even in our bodies, yes, stories. Yeah, we do. Good so point. Mind, what he means by mind is not what we think of. It's yeah. It's organ in our head. Correct. Um, it's not the intellect alone, in other words. Yeah, what he's talking about is the Western culture has, has made it so 
that we think of our mind being something of the intellect only, okay, something of the rational thought only. While that's partly true, it's not fully true, and it's actually very different, excuse me, to what Paul has been saying. I'm going to go back to what I said earlier about the mind, as, as Paul is really saying. The mind is that which is in the human person that perceives things, you see? Think of the mind as a, how about this? Think of the mind as a filter, right? Or glasses. If my mind is corrupt with the pattern of the world, then I'm not going to perceive things. I'm going to perceive things nearsighted. Everything, everyone is blurry. And no, I'm not going to say y'all look a lot better that way or anything like that. Everything is blurry, right? Because if this is my mind functioning as Paul, I, 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 I create a world where God is distant. I create a pattern that is not his. But when my pattern changes, I allow him to heal that mind. My glasses come on and there's almost wonder. Because now I see things in the, not a, the reality that he's created and done. Right? That's what we're talking about. In fact, that, that brings me to this. I have, as we close, I want to invite you to do something this week. We're talking about the mundane things. I certainly, please, when you're doing all of these mundane activities and tasks and labor, move towards God, no question. Let it be a sacred moment or two here and there more than you've ever had before. Take some steps in that direction. But I want to invite you to do something that's even a bigger break from the norm. And I'm going to share with you a testimony of how this impacted me. I've shared a long time ago, and, and I've shared a few times that there were five years when I, the last five years I lived in New Orleans, every year I would go on a four-day silent retreat at a place called Manresa, which is one of the most beautiful places on earth. It was a plantation that uh, had been uh, uh, transformed into a retreat place along the Mississippi River. So it's one of those Mississippi River plantations. Acres and acres and acres of hundred-year-old oak trees with Spanish moss. And all around those oak trees are these gorgeous flowers that had been planted, rows and rows of them, okay? It was a beautiful place to have a four-day silent retreat. And in this silent retreat, every part of the day, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, one at night, we would gather together in a little chapel, and the priest that was the retreatant, would give a suggested meditation to go off for the next three or four hours and consider. Normally, I honestly, and then they always told you, you don't have to do them. You're here to be with God. But they offered them. And normally, I wouldn't do them. I did this one. Because he said, go all over the property for the next, spend the entire afternoon. And go all over the pro property. Get up close to what God has created. Look if you don't see and experience him and his fingerprint on all that he created. I did that. And I was going from tree to tree. And I was stooping down and looking at not only every flower, these beautiful, beautiful flowers, but every petal. And every petal of the flower was uniquely painted differently. Every one of them to bring forth this beautiful, thing that God had created. I went into depth with this, just asking the Lord to show me His handiwork. 
Because when God shows us his handiwork, he shows us himself. You see? I'm not saying the tree or the flower is God. I'm saying the nature of God, the creativity of God. And so I did this for that whole afternoon. I'll tell you what I found. About three quarters of the way through it, I'm just so engulfed in Christ and God and his creation that I was asking the Lord a question. And the, and the question was, Lord, if all of this beauty that I'm beholding and you here with me, if this is reality here, what was the garden like? If this is fallen, what was the garden like? And I tell you, as I kept walking with that prayerful thought in my mind, the only thing that ever came to me is it was just like this without death. That it was just like this, but think of the colors far more brilliant than your eyes could perceive. You see? What had happened? As I broke from the norm, and I went out and sought to see God all around me, everywhere present and filling all things like we're talking about, I saw things I'd never seen before. And it wasn't about, yes, I was in awe of the beauty. I was more in awe of the wonder of God that had painted every, every bit of it. You see? My assignment to you is find some time within the next few weeks. Do something different. Get out of the norm for a moment. Something that will help you break from your pattern of thinking. And go and see if you can find God everywhere present around you. See what happens. Make that effort. Deal? Okay, I'll expect a full report of what you find. Oh, see? I know where you live. So... Let me tell you what I think will happen, because this is what happened with me, and it's interesting. My wife, Korea Debbie, told me a story Friday night. She'd come home just kind of tickled from teaching class that day. She teaches third grade language arts. And she has this shelf cupboard against the wall that the kids had never seen before. And she said they were all sitting around, and she had to get something out of that closet. So she opened that closet for the first time. And she said, you should have seen the kids' faces. They're, this awe, their jaw dropped. And I said, you must have straightened up that cabinet. And she, said, she said she did, but their, their, their face was filled with this awe because they'd never seen what was behind the doors. And she, she looked at me and she said, isn't that the way we're supposed to be with God all the time? And I said, that's it. That's, that was my experience there. That is the experience that God wants us to have in his kingdom now. The constant experience of like a child, our eyes being opened and our jaw dropping in wonder at beholding God. And I promise you this, that if that happens, if that happens, then not only will we be in wonder, but we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind for a completely different life experience in this time toward eternity. Not apart from it, eternity's now. It just continues then, right? I go back to, to bring finality to this. Those who experience God and His kingdom like this that we're talking about are the ones that will heed the most simple children's song of Scripture that we ever sang. They'll be those who seek first the kingdom of God.
and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. The disciple, the true disciple of Christ, is the disciple who's the constant seeker. And the constant seeker finds what he's seeking because the nature of God, when his children come and seek the kingdom, is to show it to them. Let's stand.